Welcome to the Kinjas Podcast. Here we will discuss dance, life, and whatever the f we want. <laughs> Folks, welcome to or welcome back to the Kinjas Podcast, Moving in the Shadows. Today, we have our very special guest and friend, Kevin Tantrowen, is in the pod. He is a dancer, choreographer, turned filmmaker, writer, producer, and he's worked on a myriad of projects. We'll get into his resume in the episode. You guys will hear it very soon. Uh, But what I loved about this episode, so um, I've known Kevin for over a decade now, and... um, I've known him as a dancer who transitioned into filmmaking. And what I loved about the story was his journey of how he figured that out, uh, how he figured out that he wasn't uh, pigeonholed into one style of artistry and uh, one style of storytelling. And 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 as you guys will hear in this episode is how he's uh, traversed through dance and directing and choreography into filmmaking, into storytelling. And this was Anthony's first time engaging with Kevin. Yeah, and I mean, and me, I love the 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 organic sort of curiosities and and the things that you connected with with Kevin in this episode. Yeah, this dude is incredible. I mean, I've I've definitely been inspired by his work. You know, definitely work that I've been familiar was done by him, and also a bunch of work that I didn't even know that he did that totally just inspired me. I think I totally geeked out in this episode and really like had moments where I didn't even have words because I was just fanboying and becoming more of a fan of the things that he had done uh, and the things that he's working on and his life view. But really the thing that really spoke to me was just uh, his ability to just kind of articulate a lot of the life lessons that he had gained and his perspective on things. I feel like there are things that like people have told me before in terms of morals or lessons and ways to kind of get through life. But he was just speaking on it in just a way that I felt was so relevant to the journey that we've kind of undergone ourselves, even as Kinjas, being dancers, being content creators and and people who really love and study film as well. Like this dude was doing it and and has been doing it and is killing the game. And I don't know, I, I just became really a, a huge fan of the of the man yeah. while sitting down and speaking with him. So I'm just excited for everybody to kind of see that energy and uh, become fans as well. Yeah, know? I think, yeah, from uh, creation to struggles to inspiration to lack of inspiration to picking up the puzzle pieces, there's so much that Kevin covers in this episode. So many gems in this one. Let's just get into it. Here we go. Folks, welcome back. Welcome to the Kinjas Podcast, Movement in the Shadows. We are your host, Ben. And I'm Anthony. And as always, we have a very special guest. This one's a little bit interesting. We're doing a bit of a hybrid. You know, technology has served us well over the past couple of years, so we're we're, we're, we're utilizing it. So we're on Zoom. We have today, we have dancer, choreographer, turned filmmaker, writer, producer, In 2010, he caught the attention of Warner Brothers with this viral video reboot of Mortal Kombat Rebirth, which led to the green light of Mortal Kombat Legacy, which he directed, co-wrote, and produced. 
His directing credits include Glee, Fame, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, 12 Monkeys, Prison Break, a whole bunch, a whole bunch. His list goes forever. Most recently, Star Wars Book of Boba Fett. Hey, yo. We have, folks, Kevin Tantro in the pod. Bam, 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 bam. You are now unlocked. <laughs> Thanks for man. having me here. Sorry I couldn't be in the studio in, in real form. Nah, dude, you're totally good, man. You're so well, you're 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 in a casting session, you said. Like you're so you're working yeah. on uh, a new project, I would imagine. Yeah, um, I'm getting ready to do a show called The Brothers Son, which is uh produced by Brad Falchuk. Uh, who's done uh, Glee, American Horror Story, and this would be my second time collaborating with him. And it's um, it's really fun. It's an action comedy. It's uh, set in Los Angeles, but it's about uh, two triad brothers, one who was living in Taipei, one who lives in L.A., and they have to come together in L.A. to try and solve their uh, mystery of their dad's uh, attack. So it's it's great. It's literally Kill Bill meets Barry, but Whoa, with, awesome. uh, Ooh, with, uh, Barry. With, like, uh, with the pretty much all Asian cast. And um, wow. It's been great because to be a part of something that feels like they made a real strong effort to fill the behind the camera positions with uh, predominantly Asian people. The writer's room is completely yeah. Asian American as well. So it's, it's great because, you know, I, I think we've seen a lot of push in front of the camera. We've been seeing a lot more actors, a lot more content, but behind the camera still every now and then it's lacking filling in certain uh key positions so on this one there's been a real big push to try and make that happen so we're doing that right now and just going through the uh the casting but i gotta say it's 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 um it's competitive out there they're luckily and actually fortunately saying this there are so many asian american projects like out Mm, there yeah being made and so like trying to get certain actors like oh no they're on this show or they're on this show or they're competing for this show but i gotta say for the community it's great Strange. Yeah. I'm not getting any casting emails to play any lead Marvel <laughs> yeah, roles. It's a you good know? time to take up acting, huh? <laughs> uh, but Kevin, give us give us a brief origin story. We love to get into the origins of uh, you know where people yeah. kind of uh, got their start to where you're at today, man. So give us that uh, brief origin. Yeah, uh, you know, I started when I, I the whole way I got into this whole crazy business was uh, via dancing. I mean, that's something that I know we all can understand. I. I started just taking classes and hip hop classes, trying to emulate my sister. And just by being in class, I uh, was asked to join a dance company when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 or something like that. And this was Wade Robson's company. So this was before he was Wade Robson, before he was a choreographer yeah, yeah. Uh, extraordinaire. So I was in his company and then we just started doing performances and, um, I had my interest behind the camera from a very early age. I my my room was already very teched out. I was uh for the lack of a better more appropriate term always that token Asian tech guy. So in the course of that Wade started getting um these these really big jobs like, you know, choreographing for Instinct and Britney and then I tagged along because I was helping out on the technical side, but I was also just for fun really uh, becoming a backup dancer, like just at the time, I thought I was just making money for um, potential college because that's that was kind of what was in the cards. But as I just kept moving forward, um, I just kept staying in that in that world, and I was touring, um, and then I started choreographing, and then remixing music, and then finally I started directing the tours. Once Wade was done 
uh, directing and he went on to do his reality show on MTV, I became the director for the last Britney Spears tour that I did was the Onyx Hotel tour. Mm-hmm. And I finished that when I was around 19 or 20. That's uh, incredible. That w- it was a, I gotta say it's, it's people always ask what that felt like. And I say, it's like the um, 1990s, 2000 version of almost famous, but in the pop world, cause I was young. And I think because I was young, I wasn't able to indulge in all of the, clubbing and the the partying so i was always laser focused on just doing the work so but by the time i was 19 i was i was pretty exhausted from from touring and the you know the music industry is fast it's really it's really fast and i had never wanted to be fully in the music business i had always wanted to be in film and television um so i started trying to push that angle um and then i ended up directing a remake of fame and 2009 and after that i wanted to do action and sci-fi and horror so i directed that mortal Kombat rebirth uh short yep, which i loved uh, yeah oh thanks man yeah i mean that was the biggest gamble right because i was like you get you get you get boxed in on on your categories that people will accept you in and because i had come from the dance world I was only being shown like, hey, do you, here's this dance movie or here's this dance driven thing. And yeah. I love that. But I do have massive interest in the genre world, the comic, the comic book world, the horror yeah. world, science fiction world. So I was like, no one's going to let me do it unless I just put my money where my mouth is. Yeah. So I, I funded that short. And I will say, I, I do think that if it wasn't for that short, I wouldn't be doing the genre material that I am doing today. Mm-hmm. Because of that, then I started working in the DC universe because it was via Warner Brothers. Then I was doing um, Flash and Arrow. And then I went into the Marvel world, did Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. uh, with my sister and her husband, who were the showrunners. So that was like a family affair. Um, And then finally, you know, after working in the in TV for a while, I I, um, got the call for Book of Boba Fett. And I was very excited to join the Star yeah. Wars universe as and that's you know that's really it's really stressful but it's a lot of fun which by the way when when Ben had just confirmed that you were going to come on for the pod I was in the middle of the book of Boba Fett <laughs> and I oh, swear man. it was like maybe like the day right after and I'm just watching this episode and it's like directed by Kevin Tantron I was like oh snap! <laughs> he might be in my house soon <laughs> I had a lot of fun with that it was totally like being a kid again so wait did you what was like like schooling for you? Did you do college? Is this something that you studied in school or did you just kind of pick it up as a hobby? So when I was on tour to get through high school, I I had to do um, an online school called Laurel Springs. And this was the time when like online wasn't super fast or anything. So I had to work during the day and at night in my hotel room do school. And I, I, you know, I, I felt like I had to do it. I wanted to do it. My parents wanted me to do it. So I did it. But then when it was time for the college age, uh, you know, thinking about even moving on to continue um, onto that, I was so deep in the field already that it felt like a mistake to, to leave it knowing I wanted to come back to it. So I took that gamble and just stuck with it. And I, I do like learning by trial by fire kind of thing. Like you just kind of throw yourself in there. And if you have totally, passion, if you have the passion enough, you will figure it out. Like you will find ways to just learn how to do it, but it just, you just have to have that, that want 
and and then the answers will be out there. I mean, nowadays, if you want to learn how to do anything, you just got to type it in YouTube or look online, <laughs> like, boom, yeah. know how to do it now. So, um, but yeah, so I decided to stay and and try my hand at it and, and just stick with it. And luckily, I'm, I'm still able to, to play around. Speaking of like being able to learn anything, I mean, because we have the technology now, but back then, I mean, we're talking early 2000s here, right? When you're really uh, doing yeah. all the dancing and directing, choreographing. What was the thing that kind of gave you that vote of confidence for yourself to feel like you could be a director, choreographer for things that you've probably never had your hand in before, but you're following, you're kind of shadowing Wade Robson. So what was the thing that gave you that confidence to be like, yo, I think I could do this myself? I think what gave me the confidence at the time was the just, I was immersed about around very smart people. Everyone was an expert at their craft. And I just didn't have, I didn't have any issues asking questions, right? Like because I was so young and a bit naive, the fear of not knowing what I'm doing wasn't there yet. So I just asked so many questions. And I think because I asked so many questions, people did want to teach me more. And I just have always taken that approach. Like, if I don't know what I'm doing, I'm not going to act like I'm, I know what I'm doing. And I felt like that was the way to go because then yeah, I'm never trying to, to, to fake it necessarily. So as I kept going and I started learning more things from everybody around me, I then started to, at the time you had to, you had to order tutorial DVDs. I had to, buy a CD-ROM or DVD or something to learn how to edit in Final Cut Pro. And I was around enough recording engineers to learn Pro Tools and things like that. So I just yeah. said that once I was around it and I saw what it what it took, I I had that kind of youthful energy to be like, let's just let's just do it. Let's just try. You know, I'm having too much fun right now. Yeah. Um, and when you're that young, you're not, I'm not thinking about the dramas of the future quite yet. I was just like, oh, this is yeah. cool and this is cool. And, you know, I'm only thinking about five steps ahead as opposed yeah. to, like, oh, what's my life going to look like? So I um, I think a lot of it to that youthful naivete and, and hubris that came along with it. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm still like mind blown right now because like you're, by the way, you're talking to two... <sighs> proudly zot zot uci ain't eater yes, film and media studies majors <laughs> right me and ben were both film and media studies majors so we dig this crap obviously you know we love dancing and all that stuff but the the origin story and the the laundry list resume of what you just threw out right now is like the stuff of dreams like awesome goat shit you know what i mean like i'm not you're like what you were one with wade robson and a crew two like doing the choreographing and then directing show tours for Britney Spears and then just maybe like I'm you know I'm just like kind of tour dancing on the side for fun you remember not... the show Dance Life with J-Lo like that was like the first MTV dance show I think was dance it before Life? Dance 360 yeah. uh I don't know maybe maybe around the same time <laughs> but... which one Dance 360. Do you remember Dance 360? Oh, I do remember. I don't know if it was that. It, it was the it was it was maybe the first like docu-reality dance show at the times because um and it, it was it was i gotta say it was a lot of luck at for me to even sell that show because what what it was based off of um after i was done with the tour i had always had my camcorder with me you know at the time it was like a three chip sony camera i was like yeah on, yeah, yeah on mini dv and i would just uh -huh. be filming everything as much as i can so over the course of that i had so much material of 
the backup dancers, the crew, um, having a good time, rehearsing, talking to camera. And just because I was learning editing, I just cut together like a sizzle reel, like a, a mock episode oh of what gosh. it would be like to be a backup dancer for a big artist. And um, somebody got a hold of that and sent it to J-Lo. And J-Lo, because it spoke to her origins of being yeah, a backup yeah. dancer, yeah. she really responded to it. So she put her name on it and she was a producer. Then we went and sold it to MTV. That was my first show, so I was really, I was really That's nervous. So sick, That's man. crazy. You sound like a dude who just like goes fishing for the first time and catches like a shark. Right? <laughs> 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 just, it's gonna work. Oh my gosh, that's incredible! I, the stuff that you're talking about, the stuff that you're doing, the stuff that people like move across the world and work their whole life. I mean, you already know this. I'm just saying, like, this is mind blowing. Putting it all together, just like slapping it like a big sandwich of like all the accomplishments and and really also just industry changing stuff that you've been a part of or facilitated and some of it seemingly just kind of like you you just took a stab at it or on a whim you know what i mean like that's crazy yeah i feel very very fortunate i mean obviously the the parts you the parts that you don't hear are like the the amount of failures, the amount of trials and errors. Hey, let's hear that. Let's hear some of that. You know, because you're too you're too glorious for me right now, man. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that it all these things. There was a lot of a big chunk of time where it took a lot of trial and error to just make it make make it so that I was able to present myself in that kind of way. So I can't deny the um, the education that was fortunate enough to be given to me because I was at the right place at the right time. Um, but also just never stopping. And I know that's very cliche to say, but anytime anything failed or I didn't quite do it because I still had that youthful energy, I didn't let it stop me. And I know that's a very kind of poster inspirational thing that you put on a wall, like never give up, always push forward. But I truly do believe it takes 20 failures to get one success. Like, mm -hmm. and, and, you read about a lot of successful people um, and they'll say the same thing. Like that you just have to get, learn how to get beaten down every now and then in order for, so you can get through it the next go around. Right. Yeah. So, um, and I have to say, I learned a lot by observing too um, because when I first started, I was more of an assistant and uh, more of an intern slash assistant. So I was able to, you know, sit back and kind of be a wallflower and be the quiet kid who just was taking mental notes and trying to see how all of this works. So, yeah, it was it was a lot of trial and error, but I got I'm, I'm thankful for just kind of pushing through it, you know, yeah. because uh, you kind of you have to you have to do it. And the only reason I did Mortal Kombat was because I uh, I felt like I didn't do I failed at fame at the movie fame. I feel like I felt like I didn't. I wasn't able to really fully put my my authentic stamp on that world. And it was a lot of learning. You know, the, it was I was 23, 24. It was my first feature. And I didn't really know how to navigate that system quite yet. I didn't know the politics involved. So um, it, that movie kind of got out of my control for a bit. I'm very proud of what it ended up becoming. But it was definitely a hard thing, like as an artist, to sit back and learn because I truly did feel like I just didn't do a good job. So hmm. from that fear and self-doubt, I was like, I have to do something if I want to keep doing this. 
because no one was about to hand me another job after that movie. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, you did this. Now do this. Just to dive into that uh, real quick on fame. What what do you feel? Uh, what do you feel like um, was the biggest in, in your eyes failure uh, of it? Um, I think the authentic voice of being a young artist trying to make it was not present as much as I liked it to be. And, you know, there's a million things that happen, but um, I felt like I wanted it to be a more of an homage to the original fame, the Alan Parker one that was, you know, that was rated R. It was in the early, um, early 80s or late 70s. And it was just raw and real. And it got dark when it needed to get dark because that was the truth, the truth of it. Um, so when, when I was making fame, that was my pitch. Like I really wanted to push the edge of PG 13, the things that I wasn't aware of, or I didn't have the knowledge of just how studios work and how, what it takes to make a movie a success, the marketing parts of it, the P and the PR, all of that stuff wasn't in my brain. I was just all about, I want to make a good movie. Right. Yeah. So I was very naive to everything that surrounds what it takes to make a studio movie. Um, so that was a big learning experience for me. Um, but over the course of making the movie, it became very clear that the studio eventually wanted to make it a bit younger. Um, at the time, High School Musical was incredibly successful. So they wanted a more youthful approach. So it went from being something more of a harder PG-13 movie to a PG movie. So I felt like all of the darker moments, the, um, you know, the depression that comes with being an artist, the failures that come with being an artist, the dark places your mind goes, being a young artist and the insecurities yeah. wrapped around that wasn't well presented. And I would have, I would have really liked to, to do that so that the people who are in the audience who were going through those realize that a lot of people go through it as well, as, mm -hmm. as opposed to like, Oh, it's just a nice, um, I don't want to say fluffy, but just a, I guess, a PG version of the story. I took that as a personal failure just because I felt like I underrepresented the community that has done so much for me. Mm -hmm. So that was hard. And I did, I did go to a darker place in my head and I'm like, my God, what am I going to do? This is, no one's going to trust me anymore. I kind of ruined everything. And then just one day I, I, I was a nerdy kid. So I have a bunch of bunch of action figures and bunch of toys and i still have all my old video game systems and i yeah. just like going through some of it and mortal Kombat just popped back up and my mind just kept spinning and i think there's a natural progression for choreographers to like action because at the end of the day action is choreography and martial arts fighting in movies is choreography so totally. i had always been massively interested in that and i did do taekwondo and Capoeira when I was younger. So I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try to bridge the gap here and I'm going to do my comic book influences the things that I feel very passionate about and, and throw my, my complete voice in this one because I can control it. Um, it's my money and, and I can, I can do what I want. Now, obviously it was a risk because I don't own Mortal Kombat. So very quickly they could have shut me down or, or worse, sue me over putting the thing out online because I had just put it online on YouTube and just let it run. Like there was no promotion about it or anything like that. Yeah. And it became viral, which was pretty new at the time yeah. for, for things to go viral like that, especially in a scripted um, kind of 
produced short film type of way. People were yeah. making viral videos for comedy and things like that, but it wasn't um, ever like a short film or it, it wasn't that popular quite yet. So luckily the reaction was so well received that Warner Brothers actually saw it as an asset as opposed to a problem. Mm-hmm. So I, I got to say that's pure luck. The fact that it was well received and they were like, you know what, let's use what you've done to, to help the brand as opposed to be like, go away, stop what you're doing. And we're going to be against you. And, and that is, that's just pure luck and great producers over at Warner brothers who saw an opportunity and that just kept going. And that's why I said that if I didn't take the risk on myself, I don't think I'd be sitting here talking to you guys right now. You mentioned like, you know, um, opposition, self-doubt, you know, from whatever you would consider a failure for yourself. Um, And you kind of came up in the dance scene during a time where there wasn't a lot of Asian American guys um, represented. There was like the handful. There was like Harry Shum. There was, you know, you, J.D. McElroy, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, and there wasn't a lot. And, And you... You, you got a lot of amazing opportunities and, you know, I, just out of curiosity, was um, any of that like an opposition for you kind of like being of the minority, even within that category or that industry? Um, can you talk a little bit about some of those hurdles? Yeah, of course. And, you know, this is th- these are things that I as an adult, I've become more aware of because, you know, I, I was born in L.A. I grew up obviously Asian-American. And with that comes a lot of insecurities naturally. I think me growing up in predominantly uh, white high schools or elementary schools, and I had become so accustomed to microaggressions, things like, oh, you're super cool, dot, 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 for an Asian guy. Or I felt the need to try to be so, I, I felt the need to have accolades to make up for this. Like, oh, yeah. well, I'm not going to be the popular jock. At least I'll have a resume. So that part of growing up, yes, that was always in the back of my head. The thing that became very confusing for me is because of that youthful insecurity and that vulnerability, I felt like I was always guessing what was cool because it wasn't coming from an authentic place necessarily because I was as a person kind of insecure, which I do think led to me being a lot quieter when I was younger is I was either super quiet and tried to learn everything like a, like a wallflower, or I was overly fake confident. Mm -hmm. And those have their pitfalls, you know, some of, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I'd like to think that there's a very nice middle ground that has to go back and forth a lot, like a, like, like a wave. It doesn't just stay like, this is what it is, black and white. And I do think being a minority pushed me more because I was never comfortable. And as painful as that might be, you learn so much more when you're uncomfortable. You also learn to deal with a lot more when you're uncomfortable. Yeah. So I think that's just by pure, just the nature of my heritage and growing up in the environment that I grew up in. Um, and I just tried to use all of those, all of those, um, what I considered insecurities or deficits against me. And now that I'm older and I have, I'm wiser, I realize that I never needed to feel that way. Mm-hmm. And what I'm, what I feel very fortunate about now is that 
we've now come to a place in the world where we are being recognized a lot more. Um, it's almost a cliche with Asian guy dancers at this point, right? They all now now they think all Asian guy dancers are fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> and I gotta say, you know, um, Ben, you got a lot to do with that. You got a lot to do, you know, and you and then you guys, your your whole company, your crews, all the the, the community that you guys have birthed together really did pave the way for a lot of younger Asian people to be like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to step up and do it too. Right. Yeah. Um, now, if I was born in this generation where there's like so many Asian American material out there, there's the success of BTS, there's the black pinks, there's um, uh, the dance crews that are also badass. There's things on TV. There's Shang, Shang Chi's out there. So I think I would have felt a lot more seen and part of the story of the show I'm working on right now, the brother's son, I'm able to explore those topics because it is about a young Asian American who grew up in Los Angeles. So I'm getting to kind of psychologically try to break down what it was when I was a teenager growing up and, and, and realizing that some of those insecurities ended up at the end of the day, gave me a lot of power. And I, and I co-signed to some of that stuff too. Like, you know, back then there was not a lot of Asian dudes that were just rocking out in the choreo scene. And I remember Ben over here, you know, being one of the few homies that was just going off, you know, hitting that, hitting that drop, you know, (laughs) and that drop it like it's hot. Oh, all of it, you know, but, but real, real talk, that, that was the kind of stuff that, really just empowered uh, somebody like myself as well to just think like, oh, yo, if anybody could do it, you know, like go out and do it because this dude was at a Cobb Modern audition wearing a full academics jumpsuit with a do-rag, right? And I was like, no Which was way. totally inspired by You Got Served because that's how they were I know, but that's what I'm time. saying. I like didn't even know that people could rep like that. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So, but, but that's that's what you need. Sometimes you need an example. Sometimes you just need to know that it can be done and then everything flips, you know what I mean? But more props to the people out there that have less examples, you know what I'm saying? Because they're, they're really just pushing and innovating. That's right. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting to look back on it now and feel a sense of, I, I inherently feel a sense of shame for feeling that way about my background, but I also have to accept that it's, it's made me have the mindset that I have today. Like you have to go through that in order to realize that that wasn't the right way to do it. And, you know, just growing up in a very predominantly, um, at the time, it was a very predominantly white world I was in when it came to the pop industry. It was very much so like everyone, that that was the look, right? Mm -hmm. But I felt very comfortable being behind the scenes because I was like, at least I'm not in front of the camera and I can still work in this business, but just be behind. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it so much that I wanted to stay behind the camera because I just felt it was a lot more fun for me. It was just something that I clicked to. Um, But there was a lot of insecurities. There was a lot of second guessing. There was a lot of trying to be cool, for sure. And I think I hid behind the dancing and the accolades to to hide those insecurities as much as I can. I can. But as you get become an adult, those things start to creep up on you and the things that you try to push down just start punching their way through. Yeah. And it's helped me a lot. It, it's helped me grow as a human, as an adult, as a filmmaker, as a director, because now all of the things I've been trying to repress 
now have context and you can break down the emotional arc of a scene a little bit better because I'm now finally being honest with my own feelings as opposed yeah. to wow. trying to flick them away, right? And we all know the cliche when you know Asian people have problems, for the most part, just like wash it all the way down. Yeah, don't talk about it. <laughs> don't talk about it. I know that's, 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 uh, um, that's definitely a byproduct of the immigrant story. Right, being a model model minority, don't t- don't bring up any problems, don't act like you have any problems, and um, we're now in a much more open world, and I've become much happier. I feel like it's truly helped me talk to actors because I can be vulnerable and be and try to have context to what some of the scenes are. So, which is why I feel very lucky that I get to do this this new show, uh, The Brother's Son, because I'm going to be able to take a lot of personal experience. And put it yeah. on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, growth happens most often in the times of discomfort, and um, but also being able to recognize the things that we've suppressed and being uh, bold enough to kind of give those things a voice now. And I think that's what it, you know, now, yeah, like you said, there's so many. Uh, stories that are now being told of not just the Asian immigrant story, but just people who grew up in America and and just struggled in their own unique kind of ways. And I think, um, yeah, your struggle now turns into your power. It turns into um, a message that so many people resonate with because everybody has their version of that kind of story, you know? And, um, And something that you said to me that I find to just be like, really interesting is the the risk that you took, right? You know, from being uh, pigeonholed, I was like, I am a dancer, choreographer, so I'm gonna be limited to telling that story. And then you took it upon yourself coming from something that you considered a failure to then take a risk, but dude, I'm just gonna put my you know own money on the table, tell a whole different kind of story. And then it hit, you know, it was something that when I remember when I saw that Mortal Kombat, I was like, yo, this is like the craziest, depiction but like i felt like this is what mortal Kombat should be like it's a i'm very happy to hear that yeah very gritty kind of take on it and then it hit and then as you put it yourself that gave uh a whole different opened up a whole different world for you to be considered like wow he can actually tell these types of stories now too which you know you, you get to where you're at today working on this current project so i just think it's so so cool that um yeah, you were bold enough to take that risk. And and yeah, even for ourselves, we talk about, you know, not being pigeonholed into the category of just dance or just Asian American dancing. And like, you know, now we have a brand that we've created simply because we just are used to and enjoy taking these risks, um, not being comfortable, just being considered to have to stay in one category. People are still shocked that we made noodles. Oh, we got to get you some noodles, Kevin. You got to get you some noodles. Oh, yeah, noodles. we're going to send you some kinder <laughs> noodles. But yeah, that was that was the same thing for us to, to try and do something so far removed but so authentic to like who we were. You know what I mean? But like yeah. whether people believe something different or not, I know that we believe it internally. You know, once you actually go for something and prove it to yourself, you're like, oh, snap, I can do this. I, You know, I can step outside of this boundary or whatnot. So there's so much growth that comes from that and just... um being stagnant and just being complacent in a version of yourself that you feel like worked and just staying there is going to catch up with you eventually. And you will get bored and 
those will start to lead to your work not being um, very authentic anymore. So I, I always encourage people to like really just take chances. And yes, there's going to be a lot of times where it doesn't work, but you really do have to believe in yourself enough to make that step. And I know that's easier said than done, right? But to have you really truly at the end of the day, first have to believe in yourself because especially in this business, there's not going to be a lot of people who will do that for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm lucky enough to have such a supportive family. I can't deny that my parents and my sister were very encouraging and helped me. So that part of my life, I was very fortunate. And I know I'm very privileged in that manner, but you just have to take risk and you have to keep going. And um, that's why I respect a lot of filmmakers who shift up their genre all the time. Like, um, for instance, um, Danny Boyle to me is like a chameleon. The fact that he can go and do every genre from, you know, train spotting, then to a sci-fi movie like Sunshine, and then go do Slumdog Millionaire, and then go do 127 Hours. Like he just kind of, mm. we're all inspired by many things, not just one thing. So, mm. but proving that you can do more than one thing is, is very hard. I think in this business, because everyone's making an Excel spreadsheet on what they do. Oh, here are science fiction directors. Here are the action guys. Here are the ones. Yeah, that yeah. And, and it's very rare that you see executives maybe taking a chance that they can do it all. But um, you, you have to you have to show them that you can. And that's, yeah. uh, and that's that's what it takes, I think. And I I'm very happy that I at least had the enthusiasm enough to to keep going i mean uh you know when i when i first met you i think it was right around right after you did mortal Kombat, and then uh and then we worked on the jabberwockies regenerate shoot and and being able to just um interact with you in a creative slash like your world of where you work and and just seeing the way that you um not only wanted to cap uh, your eye to capture dance but even the the world like this post-apocalyptic world and it was it was really cool for me to be able to just dive into your brain and, and how you um, tell stories. And then obviously, you know, your 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 passion for dance and, and ha wanting to uh, portray it in, in the dopest way. Like it was so cool to uh, be able to work with you in that capacity. And then like, you know, now like you're just running in so many different. I mean, you talk about being a chameleon. I think you're showing you're showing that ability even in your own life, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's really inspiring, man. Thank you so much. And I still love that short so much, the Jabberwocky short. Yeah, that was it's fun. Still, it's still on my bucket list to do that cross genre where I can make a science fiction dance movie. Because unless it's been comedy, I don't think I've really seen a movie in that way yet. You literally have the hairs on the back of my neck standing up. <laughs> dancing right now i mean i just personally still think it's it's it works but you know when you say that to a lot of um i gotta say when, when you give that that plot line to some executives they are like well i don't know what that is because i haven't seen it before right and having a comp does help a lot when you're like this movie is kind of like this meets this they're like oh yeah yeah i get it i know how to market that movie so yeah, let's go ahead and green light that. But this idea that I'd still brewing in my mind is just is such a risk and it's it's um it's very original and I definitely think that there's an audience for wanting to see that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah.
And if you need a bunch of middle-aged Asian dudes <laughs> who love taking risks. I think the community can come together on that movie. I mean, it would just be, I think it's an epic story. And you pair it with the right, with the right plot. Obviously, you have to have a have a good story at the end of the day, but the visuals and the music and the energy, I think that dancers would eat it up. Mm-hmm. And I want to showcase all of them. So like I'm that's still on my bucket list. It's just I feel like it has to be the right place, the right time. And I have to have just enough enough um, confidence behind me to be like, okay, like we don't get this idea, but you clearly do. So here have at it. It's just, it's just such a, it makes so much sense to me. And um, when we did that short, it, to me, it proved a lot of that could work. And um, originally I had did a sizzle reel where I was just cutting up a bunch of movies, like music videos, and then threw in Kung Fu Hustle, but then threw in like X-Men and, and tried to create like this supernatural X-Men of dancers and um, like a supernatural dance tournament kind of thing. And it was, it was it was crazy, but it was fun. Um, the book of Boba Fett, how, how did that come across your table? Oh, man. I mean, that was a a mixture of things. You know, one, my my agent had put me up for it. Um, and then I had been working with Ming-Na Wen quite, quite a bit at that point. I, we, we had done so many episodes of S.H.I.E.L.D. together that she became my family. Like, she's my auntie now. Mm-hmm. And she was playing Fennec Shan already in the Mandalorian universe. And she was like, like a good auntie, you want me to talk to, talk to the guys about you? Like, that's so sick. <laughs> and I was like, well, of course I would. I mean, <laughs> but you know, you never know what that's going to mean. Like, yeah, she could be like a proud auntie being like, he's good. He's good. Trust me. But you never know if that's going to come to anything. So right. luckily I was able to get a meeting. Um, and I met with uh, John Favreau. I met with Dave Filoni. And then I met with Robert Rodriguez, which was a trip because like, mm. I respect all of them immensely. I think um, both John and Dave are master storytellers. And I got to say a big part of why I sit here today is because I was so inspired by Robert Rodriguez. Like when I was mm-hmm. younger, I read his book called Rebel Without a Crew, which is very much so about the things we're talking about, where he just did it. Like he was like, you know what? I just have to go make my own thing. And I followed his story and I loved El Mariachi. I loved Desperado. I loved Us Till Dawn. And I just admired the fact that he just kind of picked up the camera and was like, fuck it, I'm going to make it. And I told him all that. Like I have a picture with him, with his book, like the book that I I still have on my library shelf. And so once we had these conversations, um, they invited me into the world and and it was incredible. Like I couldn't have been a bigger kid. I had the Boba Fett helmet stuff kind of around sitting around <laughs> the, the office here and a bunch of toys, but it was, it was incredible. It was definitely um, tough because it's intimidating no matter what you do. It's, it's star Wars and you don't want to mess it up. And, and the fans are so vocal. So I, I had a lot of, um, I like to call it good fear going mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It because um. If I'm not if I'm not nervous or scared about it, I I almost feel like I don't think I should do it because then I know that my brain will coast. And if I'm not like sitting there health in a healthy amount stressed out, like <laughs> how, how do I make this 
good, then those are the times where I know that I do my best work is when mm-hmm. it, it scares me a little bit. But that's but that's what makes it fun also. Totally. Yeah, I, I remember talking to a couple of students about that one time in, in similar fashion where uh, somebody had asked at a Q&A, like, hey, do you ever get like uh, nervous or scared to get on stage? And in my in my answer, I was just like, yo, actually, when you get nervous and scared, that means it's a dope stage to be a part of. You know what I mean? When you're comfortable, when you're coasting, it's like that could you could be in a pocket and that could be dope. But I feel like it's when you feel that anxiety and that nerve. That's like, this is why I'm doing this. And this is why I'm supposed to be here, you know? That's right. That's right. And that's, I, I just know me as a person need, needs that in order to keep doing what I'm doing. Because um, the second that stops, I feel like the work that I put out there becomes more lukewarm and doesn't have, you can, you can feel the lack of passion behind it. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, Book of Boba Fett, really made me nervous so i i I, I, uh kind of just tried to buckle down and and educate myself as much as i could more from either documentaries or making ofs or watching some older star wars material but also watching fan videos what was something that like in your in your studying your research and stuff that you were able to draw inspiration from and implement into your episode um, there's so many online communities based around Star Wars that I was able to just get a lot of inspiration from other people's passionate videos. Like there's something very exciting, obviously, about working on something that an audience is so, so um anxious and so passionate about, and they wanna they want it to be good and they want it, they wanna love it. It's like their life. So I think more than anything, it was the energy that they pushed in my face that I got inspired the most. Um, and I know a lot of people say, oh yeah, the fans inspire me. And I, I do believe that's very true, but it inspired me in, in a, in the most, in, in a fearful way. <laughs> These people love this stuff so much. I better, um, I better <laughs> do this correctly. And also going back to basics, you know, I know that um, John uh, Favreau and Filoni, they make a very big point to try to retain the magic that was Star Wars when they came out in the 70s, right? Um, and when Star Wars came out in the 70s, it was everything that we're talking about. High risk, no one understood what it was. People were like, oh, that's not going to work. What are you talking about? Like a, a Wookiee? What's a Wookiee? You know, no one took it. They didn't take it seriously enough to where they gave all the toy rights to George Lucas. Cause they're like, what are we talking? What do you mean toys? It's not, it's not going to be a thing. So mm. going back and watching those movies, you, I think you learn a lot by seeing what they didn't have. Right. So mm. like when you watch a movie and you know that this movie had limited resources, but it pushed them it pushed them to become more creative and how to accomplish the same thing with less, as opposed to this movie has so much money that you can just think of something and it's like, okay, great. We got it. I don't have to think about it anymore. We will get that big spaceship and we will get that explosion. But the other version is always more interesting because you're really pushing yourself and trying to figure out more clever ways to get the same effect done with nothing. And I do think 
the innovation of the original Star Wars is what inspired me the most. Watching all the behind the scenes uh, material again made me go, my God, these guys were like make, figuring these things out that didn't exist. Like it just didn't exist. And no one was going to give them all the money to try and make it work. So yeah. I that was a big thing for me. I grew up on watching making ofs. Like those are my favorite things to watch. Yeah. Like the making of the movie and so I just went back and did a lot of that. Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you mentioned like fear and kind of um, nerves uh, kind of being your friend, right? Like when there is a certain amount of pressure um, that that mode or that pushes you for you to put your absolute best into it. Um, how do you deal with um, that fear? Because I mean, it's 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 still uncomfortable. It's not like it feels good right so how do you how do you deal with that kind of pressure and it took time it really did it took time for me to realize how to process all of that better and obviously you know i i as i grew up i got more open to talking about my feelings and being aware of my feelings and and the fear and the the panic as we're talking about it as I started to talk through these things, I realized that yes, like anything, there's good and bad qualities to everything. You can either let the fear and panic completely take over and take you all the way down, or you can know how to use a bit of that and make, make the, the turn to prove yourself wrong. And I consider a lot of, I mean, I think we're all mini schizophrenics in our head. We have five people saying, different things. One person's like, yeah, we can do it. The other one's like, no, shut the fuck up. And then another one's like, I don't know you should do that. Um, so it's like learning to negotiate with yourself yeah. how much fear and stress you're willing to take on um, before you let it crumble you. And so I got to say, I don't have that answer because I'm still learning. I'm still mm -hmm. learning what that means and how to deal with it. But um, it definitely took me being honest with my feelings. And instead of pushing it away, kind of like looking at it and going, okay, I, I recognize what this is. So I'm not going to let it take over. I'm going to let it be a passenger. I'm going to let, I'm going to look to it every now and then and know that it's there. And I'm never going to, the more I try to push it away, the more it's going to come towards me. So just observing that, recognizing it, um, learning to deal with it in a very calm way is still something that I'm learning how to do, but baby steps have you ever like um either turned down a project or jumped ship because of that same energy or that fear or anything like that there's been a bunch of times where i've turned down stuff because at the end of the day i didn't think that i would be able to do a good enough job and and i think earlier i may regret some of the decisions that i made but now that i'm older um i do think that there is a lot of and this was hard too, right? There is a lot of power in saying no. Um, and that's that was hard because growing up, because I was trying to fit in many boxes or just trying to figure out where I belonged, I thought I had to say yes to everything. Like, yeah. yes, I can do this. Yes, I can do that. Yes, I can. Um, people like people pleaser. Like, yeah, I can do that. Yes. Um, everything was a yes. And mm -hmm. I do think that that also comes with a little bit of, um, immigrant parenting where, you know, you don't turn a job down. What do you mean you said no, you know? So I always had that with me. And in a lot of times 
it pushed me to learn the thing I said I knew how to do, but also it comes with a mental cost, right? If you don't know how to deal with it. So I think as I get older, I'm still learning the best way to say no and realize that it's not the end of the world. You know, I'm so, um, I grew up so terrified at disappointing people and I didn't realize that until I got older. Um, so now just being able to process that better, I do think it's, it's led for a more fulfilling career, um, and makes me enjoy the process a lot more, but it was turbulent. Definitely growing up, it was turbulent trying to figure all that shit out. Speaking of balance though. So for you, how do you balance, you know, that sort of work life? Um, yeah, not, not, you know, bringing your work home with you. You recently got married. Congratulations. Right? Congrats, bro. Thank you. Um, so yeah. How do you find your spaces of work-life balance? Um, luckily I found a, like a great partner who, who not only understands the work, but also comes from it too. Um, so she's used to that environment. She knows that world. She grew up in the business, um, successful in her own right. And we just check each other, right? Like, there are times where stepping away from something for even if it's a mental break for a day or two days makes makes it better when you go back to yeah that said project right and she keeps me in check a lot because i always still have a habit of being like, oh, I'm not doing enough work or I can stay up at night and, and research this, even though I don't want to. But sometimes if you want to go play a video game for five hours, you should be able to do it because after that, I come back rejuvenated to the thing that I, mm -hmm. I go back exactly to. Exactly what I needed to hear at this point <laughs> in my life, man. I've been getting real guilty with my video game hours that I'm logging and I'm like, yo, Kevin Tantrum said. But you want to know what else though? It's like when you're actually taking those mental breaks and just doing something that doesn't necessarily in your brain connect to work, you're allowing yourself to get inspired again because it's coming from an innocent place now. It's not like, oh, let me watch this for inspiration. Like, okay, what are these? Okay, yeah, yeah I can use absolutely. that idea. I can use this idea or I'll, I'll teach myself to draw so I can know how to storyboard and impress people. Like when you mm. just go and do something that's just for yourself and it has no selfish motive for work, you just open the door for your brain to receive just that much more inspiration. And it ends up helping, but reminding myself of that is really difficult because I, yeah. there'll be times at night where I'd be like, I don't think I got enough work done. I should read this or I should do this. And I have to be like, no, go watch a movie or go mm -hmm. do something else. Go cook, yeah. you know, and, yeah. then, um, and then it ends up better. And my wife definitely helps me with a lot of that for sure. So cool. Yeah. I think novelty is definitely powerful. It does a lot for us, whether we realize it or not. Um, how do you find define success? Oh, that's a tough question because, you know, the, the, the honest answer is I define success, honestly, with just being happy with whatever, um, whatever I'm doing. If I'm having fun with what I'm doing, I consider that successful now. Obviously, the gene in me who wants to succeed and constantly move up will never go away. But I have paid attention to that person just a little bit less so that I have room 
to be to be a little bit more free with that elevation, I guess, as opposed to trying to put a pitchfork under me and 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 force myself up because what I found myself doing is that I never in that way of thinking, I'm chasing, I'm chasing titles, not inspiration or happiness at that point, which meant that whatever project I was doing at that time, even though I worked really hard to get to it, the second you get it, you're like, but what's the next thing that I can get? Mm -hmm. Right. And that means the work that you're doing at the current starts to falter. So I, I honestly, I feel like success is just being happy with the place you're at in the world and enjoying yourself, right. As opposed Mm. to constantly competing with an idea of what you should be doing. Yo, Kevin, uh, we ask that question a lot, you know, and, and I think in life, we, we often ask a lot of people, you know, that question, but I feel like you may have said the same thing in, in morale and lesson, but the way you just articulated it right now was incredible and, and the exact type of way that hit somebody like me. Cause I feel that I resonate with all of that too. And, and just that articulation is like, left me really, really inspired, you know, that, that, you are truly wise, man. You, you, I can, I can smell that you really understand not only, you know, the elements around your life, but your life in general. And that's, that's just really cool, man. And that's, that's, that's going to ebb and flow. And I think um, being okay with that is part of that happiness. Right. Cause um, I think growing up or just people in general, or we're so, we have this idea of what we're, told we're supposed to be obviously and we're constantly chasing that without ever asking taking a step back and being like do I even want to do this um and that becomes a big challenge because especially when you're just trying to work on your career and move up and up and up and up that the infatuation with moving up and I know this sounds cliche never lets you enjoy the place where you're just at And, and at that point there's just no what's the point What's the point of that if you're just kind of chasing the future, which inevitably ends up in, in like, like you just, you, you live your life and then you die. <laughs> so it's yeah, like, yeah, if yeah. I'm just chasing that, then I'm not going to enjoy the life that is around me. So that's always going to be a learning process. And just knowing that it's going to come and go, there are going to be times where the other part of my brain is going to take over and there's going to be times where the more calm part of my brain is going to be in the driver's seat and um, mm-hmm. just being okay, knowing that it's going to switch here and there takes the pressure off of me so that I'm not trying to force a door shut. That's good. Well, we want to wrap uh, this one up with a quick little uh, fun lightning round. We're going to toss some questions at you and um, just got to come off top. Here we go. Lightning round. Three, two, one. What is your favorite Mortal Kombat character and why? Oh, my favorite Mortal Kombat character has always been Scorpion, just because his backstory is so is so rich, um, and it's so personal. And I know everyone likes a good revenge story, and that's like that's a revenge tale right there. Mm-hmm. Lee's favorite Mortal Kombat uh, character. Lee's favorite Mortal Kombat character would have to be. Oh my god! Um, um, actually, Shao Kahn, because I can never learn how to. <laughs> I never knew how to. Like, I just couldn't figure it out. And also, arguably, the least interesting, because um, he's just a bad guy. 
Right? Yeah, like he's, a, yeah. he's just a conqueror, and there's nothing super interesting about mm. that. Like every mm. other character has like very strong personality traits and yeah. and things that they they want to be better or they're trying to achieve on a personal level. That I feel like I root for those way more. Um, so yeah, I think between Shao Kahn and I never could figure out Sonya either. <laughs> I just never knew how to how yeah. to. But when someone can master Sonya, they will kick your ass. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I love it. Favorite Marvel villain? Oh, favorite Marvel villain is definitely Loki. I mean, Ooh. even if you can even consider him a villain because of uh-huh. there's just so many layers to his personality and i think the best bad guys you can also understand where they're coming from and i do think that loki has a very relatable story arc for a lot mm-hmm. of people oh, and you can yeah. almost understand why he was a bad guy and and yeah. those are the most and those are the most interesting good if, if you uh if you could choose any uh marvel superhero or anything like that to uh, direct a movie for my God! To direct a movie for I. I and John Favreau is watching this right now too. John Favreau, and so, no. Kevin Klein, so I would really like to. Kevin Feige, yes, Kevin Klein. <laughs> I would really like to um, approach Iron Fist from a different angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I worked on the show, and I know, and and that was a fun experience. But I do want to. I don't know. I want to give that character a day in court more. He's the white dude that does like Kung Fu and shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Classic. But, but you can, you know, you can change some, we're in an era now where we can change some of that stuff up. And I do think that he's a really cool character and I do like characters and superheroes that have limits. Right. And, um, that's why I consider like, you know, Superman is great, but it's hard to watch him in a battle when you know that he can kind of do everything. Yeah. Um, I think that's why we like people like uh, Wolverine because his his weakness is all emotional, and, hmm. and that's that is something really engaging to watch. He's like the mm-hmm. antihero, and I think that there's something about Iron Fist that I just gravitated towards, and I I had more of a desire to do more with that character. Favorite project that you've worked on to date? Oh man, favorite project. I have a lot of. Well, I got to say Boba Fett it was was, was my favorite yeah, because it was like I truly felt like I had accomplished a childhood dream, you know, and mm-hmm. and it was one of the sets where I like looked around like, oh, my God, look at all this. Look at this makeup thing or this puppet here or this set here. And <laughs> yeah. it felt like just being um, a kid with a bunch of toys. How'd they do the little mammoth guys? The little, is that animatronic? Was that big old thick? animatronic on a track? So they're just they're just CGing the feet. Everything oh, else is wow. real. Yeah. And and sometimes when it's laying down, there's like an operator inside, you know, moving the head. <laughs> so cool! <laughs> yeah, when you like eat a piece of chicken and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah there's sick. somebody that does that. There's a guy who has the tongue and some. Um, I said chicken all... like it was chicken on Tatooine or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's old. It's it's a lot of old school approach to to some of those bigger creatures, which I think at the end of the day always look better 
Yeah. And it feels cool for some reason too. Yeah. 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 I remember there was uh, somebody who told me this quote and it always stuck with me. And because I was trying to explain why I had such a love for the old school way of animatronics and puppetry and makeup effects and building things as opposed to just having it all be computer generated. He said, because CG looks real, but feels fake. Mm-hmm. And animatronics and makeup and puppetry might look fake, but feels real. Yeah. Like, you know what? That's true. There's just some subconscious thing about it that I appreciate more. It's like when you watch the original thing, that was all animatronics and clever puppetry right. makeup effects. And then the remake they did was like all computer generated. And to me, the original is way more effective. If you wrote the movie about your life, who would you choose to direct it? And who would you cast to play you? Oh, my God. I I would actually want, why am I blanking on this name? The kid from Fresh Off the Boat, because I just thought he was super cool. Um, That's the the second, the director question is really, that's really tough. I mean. Well, I guess what genre is it then? What genre is it first? And then maybe that'll kind of inspire the director. I think it's almost famous. I think that's the tone that I would want. It would be. It would be real and and but also but also whimsical enough because it's told from a youthful perspective. And, and when I remember when I rewatched that movie, I I do feel a connection to it because of how young he he was in that movie and how he was treated as the young one in the movie and how he had a lot to prove and just kind of being an alien in that universe was something I related to quite a bit. So that would be the tone of it. Yeah. It would definitely be that tone. What's your least favorite uh, movie or TV show that came out in the last year? Oh, that came out in the last year. The least, Oh, um, Santa Inc. I didn't, I didn't, I really wanted to love that. The one with um, Seth Rogen and, and Sarah Silverman, the did you see that? The, no, I did not see that one. I did not see. Oh, that one. it's like a raunchy um, stop motion. Oh, I, I think I did see a thumbnail for this, yeah, but no, yeah. I didn't see it. I, I, because, you know why? Because I'm such a fan of Rogan and team that I mm-hmm. I think maybe I just expected too much, and then when mm-hmm. I finally watched it. I was like, ah, oh, man, this didn't quite hit the mark. I was expecting like Sausage yeah. Factory. Yeah, Sausage Party. Yeah. Sausage yeah. Party. Yeah, 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 that was good. Yeah, that was good. That surprised the hell out of me. Did you see Pam and Tommy? Not yet. Is it good? It's, it's entertaining. Okay. <laughs> because I really love that director Um, because he's also done I, Tanya, which yeah. was great. And, and Cruella. There's something about the, mm-hmm. his, the energy of yeah. shooting style that I I really enjoy. So I do have to watch it because I I, I remember that time period. So it's going to be a trip to revisit it now. Yeah, in, yeah. In like a movie version or a TV show version, you know. What do you feel like should be the next reboot? Oh, the next reboot. Um, well, I mean, they're rebooting it already, but the next reboot that I would want to do proper, like really, really proper that I, I don't think has quite gotten the proper live action adaptation recently is Ninja Turtles. Ooh. I mean, that's yeah. that, that yeah. has always been my dream. And I know that they've, they have rebooted it and there's like mm-hmm. the animated shows and the 
and they're coming out with an animated movie and um the reboots suck yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it, it just wasn't what i wanted to see and i know that they were chasing a little bit of the transformers energy yeah that movie um but to me, the 1990 movie still. Oh, I love. I recently watched all all uh, three of them, or the first three. Yeah, the first two were like super dope. Third one was like, yeah, that. <laughs> I mean, it's still fun. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, they even changed the costumes in three. But the right. first, the first two, my God. Yes. Yo, so but the good. first one was mm-hmm. so was so real. I was yeah. like, oh my God, they really made me believe in like four mutant freaking Ninja <laughs> Turtles yeah. existed in this world. I could yeah. still watch that scene uh, with Master Splinter in the fire when they're all just sitting oh, yeah, And I'll probably still tear yep. up today. Yep. I mean, you know, you know why I really liked that movie in particular? I, I think the second movie is very fun. But See, definitely, you, but, but you saw that they got hip to the merchandising and the yeah. kid audience. So they started to lighten it up, make it a little bit more kid friendly, had vanilla ice at the end. It became more of a, a, a thing. Right. Yep. And I do think that the first movie at the end of the day are about just four, just fucking four brothers yeah. who are trying to live with each other in secret and going through Purity and going through uh, aggression issues and identity issues. And they're just, they didn't ask to be born into that world, but they were dealing with it. And I think that the context under that and the layers that that story was able to achieve is mind blowing for a title mm. called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Like that's just yeah. great. And that's why I think a lot of people love the Raphael. Leonardo storyline. Yeah. It's like that's a real brotherly connection right there. Like for real. And you can just feel that that relationship in the real world and that it would exist. Mm-hmm. So that that I would want to go back to the personalities of the turtles and make it more about family, M- more about a dysfunctional family. I can't wait for you to direct that one, bro. <laughs> you need to take a crack at that. Yeah, I can't wait for you to direct Teenage Mutant Kinja Turtles. Hey, oh, let's get it. What would be a dream opportunity for you? Oh wow, dream opportunity for me would to be uh, where I want to work with Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams. Like, wow. I just love. Okay, that would be that would be a dream opportunity for me because I just I love, kind of just love everything they do. Like, I love their branding. You know, they you definitely know the genre that they that they project and i admire being able to do that you know it, it's very spielbergian for sure like those are i mean spielberg would be that's another massive dream but um working with bad robot and jj and that company and um i think would be amazing what is your superpower i think honestly after all this conversation my superpower is blending in and becoming uh, be- because when you when I want to, like I feel like I learned the most when I was able to take a step back out of out of being in the front. Um, so I do think that as much as that was maybe a negative growing up, I now consider it a big superpower because of what I was able to use from it. Right? It's like one of those super superhero stories where 
the person thinks that that gift is a curse and they don't want that gift and it does nothing but cause them problems with everything and everybody and especially themselves. But then over the course of the movie, they realize that that actual thing is what is, what is why they become who they are at the end, which is usually. Mm -hmm. Bruce Lee once said, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. There it is. There it is. So what is, what is the thing in life that you feel like you have mastered? Um, well, I think it would be a mistake to say I mastered anything, but the one quote that I always go back to for Bruce Lee is, um, and I, I'm not going to quote it properly, but it's the kettle, the water, the, mm-hmm. the water in the kettle. When you put the water in the cup, it becomes the cup. Yeah. Because there's something about that quote that I feel like resonates with the conversation we had today, yeah. which is you can flow. It can become something powerful. It can be something nourishing. It can be something peaceful, but it just has to be in the right situation. Right. And I remember when I heard that quote, it just, it made, it clicked to me. I was like, Oh my God, that makes so much sense. That's such a brilliant quote. And I know it's one of his most famous ones. Be water, my friend. Be water. Absolutely. Hey, Kevin, man, I just wanted to, first of all, thank you for spending some time with us today. And, um, you know, this conversation, I mean, uh, though I've known you, I don't think I've ever really gotten into this type of uh, uh, a deep dive on you, really. And um, I think something that I really see that um, stands out to me about you is um, your self-awareness and... um, as you mentioned, the power of humility, but then also um, being that student, because, you know, as as you even have painted this picture of what you, you know, from uh, your younger years to where you're at today, from dance to filmmaking, storytelling, um, all of that came with putting your homework, hours and hours, 10,000 hours of your homework of whether that be a project that you're working on, a craft that you want to learn, um, and then also just learning yourself and, and learning how to, um, you know, come to terms with the things that you feel like you've suppressed and now you want to sort of like bring out and feel confident to tell those stories because you realize that not only is that going to be uh, healing and therapeutic for you, but you know that there are people out there that can resonate that that need these stories to be told for them to be able to connect and heal and I just think that just comes from a lot of, um, yeah, just soul searching and and putting in the work and and um, just being willing to do that self work. And so, um, I just think that's super dope, man. I think this conversation mm-hmm. is super inspiring to us here. I mean, yeah, like we're fans of your work and we're fans of the things that you're you're a fan of and and like you're bringing these things to life, man. It's so dope. No, we all inspire each other, and I think the things that I love about the people I surround myself with is. And you guys, you yourselves included, is that we are we all stay teachable and we all stay students, no matter how far we get into our career. I learn I'm learning new things every day. Yeah, man. You you got you got a, a strong power to you, man. This is my obviously my first time meeting you, but um straight up, I, I don't know even I I don't even know how to explain this, but like I feel like uh the things that we've talked about today, these are things that I have two like regurgitated in lessons to like my students or anything like that. But for some reason, I feel like I'm sitting here hearing this shit for the first time coming out of your mouth. And I'm just like, 
I don't know. Maybe it's also because I'm just, yeah, like Ben said, I'm also like very inspired, like, like relatively to what you actually do and the things that you do, I'm actually into, you know what I mean? From the dance to the TV and movies and stuff. But yeah, point is, man, just thank you for the inspiration today. This is definitely one of my favorite pods I've gotten a chance to get on. And uh, I'm definitely going to be taking, you know, parts of this conversation forward because I got to do something with inspiration, man, you know, and like, thank you. And, and just the stuff that you're about to do with brother's son. and, And again, just being somebody who's out there, uh, being a minority behind the camera, but being willing to put the minority story in front of the camera, uh, there's no, there's not too much of an abundance of that yet. The, the, even the Asian American experience, like literally to be an Asian American, that story has still yet to be like robustly okay. told in, in enough perspectives that really make people feel like they've got their voice out there. So I'm just like totally just a, a trooper behind you, just mad supportive of everything you're doing it and inspired by it. Thank you so much. And thanks for, you know, having me come on here. And uh, I'm sorry it took me so long, but this has been great. No, no, not at all, man. And, and um, you know, it's it's like therapy. I learn a lot by just having these conversations, mm-hmm. right? It's like as we talk through things, more things come to light. And, and um, these types of conversations are very helpful. So that's why it's really good to encourage to continue having these types of conversations because you just end up walking away with so much knowledge that you can't even put your finger on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where, where can people follow your journey, your story where, you know, people can follow your projects between Twitter and um, Instagram. It's the same handle. It's at K Tanch. That's K T A N C H. So those are the two places where I am at the most. Dope. Dope. We'll plug those in the show notes uh, again, man. Thank you so much for spending time with us, bro. And, uh, Guys, thank you for tuning in. If you're listening or watching, thank you so much for tuning in. We know there's so many gems packed into this episode. We got a whole bunch more other episodes uh, in the pipeline. So if you are curious, we have a lot of dope stuff out there. So make sure you hop on Apple, Spotify, all your major podcast streaming platforms. We're on there. Just search Kinja's Movement in the Shadows. Follow us on socials, Kinja's Podcast, Cast with the K, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that. And if you dig what we're doing, uh, hop onto your podcast platforms, leave us a five-star rating, write us a review, all that stuff helps us out. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace.